Genesis chapter 4. Let's turn there in our Bibles this morning. Genesis chapter 4. We're moving right along, aren't we? (laughs) For those who may not know, we started the book of Genesis in January. So we're just moving right along. Genesis chapter 4. Our reading this morning is found in verses 6 through 15. We're going to concentrate and focus our attention upon verses 5 through 7. Beginning with verse 6, And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, or angry? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shall thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over them, over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother, and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground, and now art thou cursed from the earth, which has opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from thy face shall I be hid. And I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth, and it shall come to pass that everyone that findeth me shall slay me. And the Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. The Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. We began our study of Cain and Abel last week with Shakespeare's popular line from his play, As You Like It. All the world's a stage, and all men and women merely players. They all have their exits and entrances, and one man in his time plays many parts. And while this may be true of men and women playing many roles in life, relating to various people and confronting different circumstances. For us as believers in God and in Christ and in his word, we trust in God writing the script. We trust in God choosing the cast and we trust in God directing the action. But in disregarding the Lord in any way and we choose to produce the drama ourselves, the end will be disastrous. And we see this as Cain's ultimate destruction, making a mess of his own life by ignoring God's script and choosing to do what was right in his own eyes. Now last week we focused our attention on Abel and his offering before the Lord. And our conclusion was that faith was the key principle in Abel's life. Faith was the key principle in Abel's life. In other words, he trusted the Lord and all his promises. 
as well as trusting in the means by which the Lord could be approached according to the pattern that God established. We talked about the pattern going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, going back to that uh, uh, verse that deals with the fact that God had to have taken a couple of lambs and sacrificed those lambs, shed the lamb's blood, but had taken the skins from the lambs to cover the nakedness of Adam and Eve. That established the pattern, you see. So in Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 through 5, it says, In the process of time it came to pass, because this is what Adam and Eve certainly taught Cain and Abel as they grew to understand God's standard. In the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought out of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock. Notice the difference here. He brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth and his countenance fell. We focus our attention upon the very fact that Abel's offering itself was given and done by faith. And we took from Hebrews chapter 11 verse 4 the very statement that is made of Abel there in the hall of faith where it says in verse 4, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and by it he, being dead, yet speaketh. I also mentioned last time that Abel's offering and sacrifice was done out of love to please God, while Cain's offering seemed to have been done out of duty and obligation, which suggested a lack of love toward God on his part. And we connected this idea, this thought that you know, the faith that we have toward God is, 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 cannot be separated from, faith, from, from His love. And it cannot be separated from our love unto God. We mentioned the very fact that when God began to establish His law for His people, what did He say was necessary for us to understand? He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Loving God is, an, is, is certainly an example of... And, and a testimony of trusting in God. So love and faith cannot be separated here. And certainly if you want to add something to that, you can't, you can't separate it from hope either. Those of us who love God and live by faith in God and in Christ, we have hope in everything that God says. But Cain, on the other hand, did not approach God with the same kind of attitude. He did not approach God with the same faith. He did not approach God in a loving way did so out of obligation, did so out of duty. We mentioned last time that sometimes that's the way people come to church. They come out of duty and obligation, but not out of love and respect unto God and with faith to trust God in everything that God says in his word. So we mentioned Hebrews 11 verse 6, but without faith it is impossible to please him for he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So what does that tell us about our own faith? What does it tell us about where we are today with God? Are we diligently seeking the Lord? Because we know that we can trust God for everything that we need for life and godliness. And so this brings us now to the opportunity that has been given to Cain by the Lord to write his course. 
the opportunity God has given to Cain to write his course. And then he gives him a warning. But he gives this warning with love and with compassion. Should Cain choose to ignore the Lord in doing what is right. You see, God knows the end from the beginning. He knows our hearts. He knows exactly what we're going to think and what we're going to do before we say and think or do them. And yet God still loves us enough to warn us, to tell us there are things that I want you to do my way. You see, God's way is always better. God's way is always better. And so we find in verses 5 through 7, which is really going to be our, our focus today, our look into the heart of Cain. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, he was very angry, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Now I want to begin today by, by looking at Abel's relationship with God versus Cain's rebellion, or I'm sorry, well it was rebellion, but Cain's religion of self-worth. Make the contrast between Abel's relationship with God and Cain's religion of self-worth. There are three points to focus upon when dealing with true salvation. And this is something that is biblical from Genesis to Revelation. Three points to focus upon when dealing with true salvation. Number one is the word of God. Number two is the work of Christ. And number three is the witness of the Holy Spirit. You see involved then the whole Godhead in true salvation. We are concerned about the word of God, the work of Christ, and the witness of the Holy Spirit. These are the things that we need to focus upon when dealing with true salvation. Now, when we consider Cain's offering and his subsequent religion, we can see that he found a substitute for all three. He found a substitute for God's word. He found a substitute for the work of Christ, which goes all the way back to the sacrifice in the garden in chapter 3. And he found a substitute for the witness of the Holy Spirit. So instead of encompassing and embracing the word of God, Cain chose a more human scheme. If you're taking notes, write down the words human scheme. It's part of the outline here. Instead of encompassing and embracing the word of God, Cain chose a more human scheme and he ignored the pattern the Lord had established in the garden for Adam and Eve. Now, before we go on, remember this. Remember that in the garden, when God spoke to Adam, he was speaking his word. So what God said to Adam, he was giving him the word of God. It may not have been as, as full as our Bibles that we have here today in that particular sense, but everything that God said to him was his word. So when God said to Adam, listen, Adam, you can eat fruit from every tree in the garden, which included, by the way, the, the fruit of the tree of life. He says, you can have all the fruit of all the trees of the garden except for the one tree 
called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because on the day that you eat of the fruit of that tree, you will surely die. In other words, you will begin to die. You will be dead spiritually at that moment, but you will begin to die physically. If you don't eat of that tree, you'll live forever. But when you eat of that tree, you will, you will begin to die. And eventually, your life will end. Simple commandment. One commandment. But it was broken. But it was the word of God. And the word was passed on. Certainly, we have to understand this, uh, is this implication that the word of God was passed on by Adam and Eve to their sons as they were growing. But this is the way God wants things done. This is the standard that God has established. This is the standard that we are to follow. This is what we are to obey. God is a good God. He's a merciful God. He's given us everything. He gave us everything. Now we have to go and work. But nonetheless, God is gracious. God is merciful. You come to him with an offering from your heart in the way that he desires you to do it. And he will respect it. So the pattern uh, has been established for us and we see it throughout all of scripture as Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 for by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God not of works lest anyone should boast or lest any man should boast. It's the gift of God. Salvation is of grace by faith. John writes in 1 John 1 verse 7, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. But notice the last phrase. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The pattern established, you see, in Genesis chapter 3. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You go back to the book of Exodus in the, in the Old Testament, the second book of the Bible. Exodus chapter 12, verse 13, this, the account of, of the Passover there in Egypt. We're told in verse 13, And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. The blood shall be to you for a token. They were to put the blood of, the, of, the, of that pure, spotless lamb that they were to take. And they were to take his blood and put the blood upon the, 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 the doorpost and upon the lintel. And then, of course, at, in the basin. The, the very picture of the cross of Jesus Christ on the doorpost. And when God would see that, he would pass over the house. When I see the blood. There was blood in the garden. There was blood at the altar when Abel brought his sacrifice. Nothing changes, you see. The standard remains. And then if you go back in, uh, to the New Testament in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, Peter says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. You weren't redeemed with gold and silver. You, won't, you weren't redeemed with money or treasures. You were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, taking us through the whole of the history of the standard that God has established for man. The blood of Jesus Christ shed for our redemption and for our forgiveness.
But Cain's religion was one of willingness to worship. Now, remember, remember this. Cain was the first to go before God. Cain went with his offering. Then Abel came. Cain was a worshiper. But who did he worship? You see, Cain's religion was one of willingness to worship, but only on his own terms. Only on his own terms. How many people are saying they're worshiping God, but they're worshiping on their terms and not God's way? Not God's terms. It was based on the philosophy of salvation having to be earned, salvation having to be merited and purchased at the cost of one's own effort and toil. Once we begin to do that, we cheapen the cross of Jesus Christ. We cheapen the blood of Christ. And aside from being centered on a human scheme, it also focused on a purely human sacrifice. You might write that down too. Cain's religion was based on human scheme and human sacrifice. You see, Cain's offering was without a doubt costly. It was costly. I mean, it may have even been more costly than Abel's. Think about it for a moment. Cain worked the ground. Abel sat around looking at sheep and watching sheep, you know. He probably had some work to do with the sheep, but didn't probably have as much to work as as Cain was doing in, in, you know, tilling the soil, beating the soil, you know, planting and, and watering and doing everything that someone who works the land does. Yes, it was probably costly and probably more costly than Abel's in a sense. But since it was a result of his toil, of his effort, of his hard work, of his persistence, even his own careful thought. Because the most beautiful flowers, the most fragrant herbs, the the biggest and the ripest of fruits, dug with his own hands from the hardest of soils. It was his best efforts to be brought before God. And then add to this a third consideration. Cain's religion based upon human scheme, human sacrifice, now also a human satisfaction. A human satisfaction upon which Cain could stand back and he could survey his altar and all that he placed on it with pride and he could say, there, that should please him, that should please God. You know, that cost me a great deal. And it's even beautiful. He's got to accept this offering of mine. He's just got to accept it. Look what I put into it. Look what I did. This religion of Cain, based on a human sacrifice, based on, uh, I should say, a human scheme, a human sacrifice, and and human satisfaction, while, while maybe being impressive and beautiful in its outward form, was nonetheless found in error and in disobedience to God's truth. In fact, near the end of the Bible, it is marked as evil and apostasy by the Apostle John, and by Jude as well. First of all, in 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, notice what John writes. He says, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. 
But then he says, not as Cain, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one and slew his brother. Who was of that wicked one. Stop there and think about that for a moment. We were talking about the fact the last week that Eve had given birth to Cain and she, she named him. I have, a, you know, I, I, I have uh, acquired a man from the Lord. But she was saying this to say, oh, that, that, that promise that God had given of the Messiah. I have borne him. But then when she sees Cain grow up and sees his selfishness and his, his whole self-focus, she commits, <laughs> she probably committed him to being of the seed of the serpent. But John does. John commits him to the seed of the serpent. Notice what he says. He says, not as Cain who was of that wicked one and slew his brother. And wherefore slew slew he him? In other words, why did he slay him? Why did he kill him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. You see, you can bring the most beautiful sacrifice on the outside, but you know what what God matters with, what, what God cares about the most? The heart. And Abel's heart is what was the focus. Cain's heart was the focus. His own works were evil and his brother's righteous. And so in the next to the last book of of the Bible, in the book of Jude, the little one chapter letter, in verse 11, Jude says, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, in the way of Cain, and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. Wanting gain, wanting the attention, wanting... The applause. It's an interesting thing about some people today in the church that are so based upon a legalism. Do this, don't do that. You know, we don't do that, so we're we're holier than everybody else, and we we don't do this, and we, you know that that kind of thinking. You know, that that's something that Paul writes very strongly against especially in the book of Galatians, but in most of his books. But Dr. S. Lewis Johnson has said this. He said, man loves legalism because it provides the flesh with an opportunity to look good. I've always liked that quote. Because it really nails legalism. Man loves legalism because it provides the flesh with an opportunity to look good. You see, what we're going to see now in in the scripture here is that there is a distinction between faith and the flesh. Faith in God, you see, will humble us. And here's here's something I want you to take home with you. I don't want you to leave here without understanding this point. Faith in God and faith in Christ humbles us because we know that we can do nothing to save ourselves. Faith in God and faith in Christ humbles us because we know that we can do nothing to save ourselves. Now, the flesh, on the other hand, exalts itself in pride, thinking that its own accomplishments are worthy of God's attention and acceptance. And there we see the heart of Cain. By faith, Abel. By flesh, Cain. By faith, Abel presented a greater sacrifice than Cain. 
And when we are told that Cain's countenance fell, his face, in other words, just kind of dejectedly falls upon the ground, it indicates that he had approached God with a haughty look. He had approached God with a prideful look. His countenance fell. If Cain had approached God in humility, he would have walked away exalted. The Bible says, He who humbles himself shall be exalted, but he who exalts himself shall be humbled. And so the Lord had cursed the ground so that only with great effort would it yield. Cain had now presented God with his own great self-efforts, and it becomes religion simply because it lacks the redeeming power of the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, we have to be careful how we see the word religion. There, there is a, the word religion in the scriptures used by James in James chapter 1. But he defines what religion is, what true religion is. But when we use the terms today, we need to be very careful because you see, what we have as believers in Jesus Christ is not so much a religion, we have a relationship. We have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We have a relationship with a God who created the heavens and the earth. We have a relationship that cannot be broken, you see. Because God has secured that relationship for us through the blood of Jesus Christ. But man today has religious tendencies to do and to act upon and to try to build a way to reach God. Relationship means that God, knowing our condition, reached down to us. That's relationship. So it becomes religion simply because it lacks the redeeming power of the blood of Jesus Christ. And I am so thankful that today we can rejoice for the redeeming power of the blood of Jesus Christ. And we should rejoice and be glad for it. Now I want us to deal with Cain himself. Was he master over sin or was he mastered by sin? Was he a master over sin or was he mastered by sin? Let's look at verses 6 and 7 again. It says, And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? Why are you angry? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shall thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire. In other words, unto you sin desires against you. I'll talk about that in a moment. Something we've already studied earlier. And thou shalt rule over him. Let me give one word of advice here. Notice in verse 6 it says that God asks Cain two questions. Why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? So here's the word of advice I want to give you this morning. Never, never, never forsake the questions of God to your hearts. 
Never forsake the questions of God to your hearts. When you find yourself in the midst of anger, when you find yourself in a time of dejection or even depression, God is asking you questions. Are you listening to what God is saying? God is, you know, God is asking us. And you, you can sense these questions sometimes. Why are you angry? Why are you dejected? But I want you to notice something else here. The Lord was dealing with Cain in terms of loving confrontation instead of instant gratification. God is dealing with Cain in terms of loving confrontation instead of with instant gratification. Today the church is, is so much wanting people just to instantly gratify. You know, just instantly say, well, you know, you're okay, I'm okay, I'm okay, you're okay. Remember, some of you remember that book in the 70s, I think it was. We had to read it in college. It was dumb. I'm okay, you're okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, we're all okay. The Bible looks, you know, we start reading the Bible, we said, nobody's okay. <laughs> Nobody is. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've got into this idea, you know, listen, you know, we've got to build up the self-esteem. We've got to, God knows how to take care of us. The fact of the matter is we need to humble ourselves before the God who created us and do what he says. But God asks him questions. Why? Why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? He made it clear to Cain that he would be accepted if he did well. And notice that the Lord invited Cain to come to, uh, to the right way to him. He invited Cain to come the right way to him. If you do well, you'll be accepted. Who did he just accept as far as his offering? He accepted Abel. If you do well. And Abel's way, by the way, was Christ's way. Abel's way was Christ's way. What we have to come to grips with is that there's a difference between Abel and Cain. Between the believer and the religious person. Oh, listen. I said last week that when we look at Cain and Abel, we're looking at ourselves, aren't we? Why? Because they were sinners and we're sinners. So when we look at Cain and Abel, we're looking at sinners. But what's the difference? Last week we saw that Cain, I should say that Abel accepted and acknowledged that he was a sinner. And because of that acknowledgement, he went to the Lord in the only way that he knew how, which was God's way. To offer a sacrifice that would cost blood. The picture, of course, being the very, uh, the very type that would eventually be the blood of Christ. Nonetheless, there is a difference between Abel and Cain, between the believer and the religious person. And the difference lies not in the person himself, but in the object of his trust. It lies in the object of his trust. The one provides for himself. The other accepts what God has provided. The one provides for himself. That's Cain. The other accepts what God has provided. That's Abel. And God accepts us only in Christ. God accepts us only in Christ. What are the words of Jesus in John 14, 6? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. I am the way. 
And Jesus could say that with confidence and with authority because he was the Son of God. He was God the Son. And you know it's a strange thing when you think about this, but it's a strange thing to think that Cain's anger was over an act of worship. Cain's anger was over an act of worship. His anger would lead him into a very, very bad place and into a very, very bad action. As we'll read later, we already read, we know what he does. But the Lord asked him, listen, why are you angry? Why are you angry and why has your face fallen? Why are you so dejected, Cain? Did you notice that God answered the questions himself by asking another question? Did you notice it? If you do right, will you not be accepted? If you do right, will you not be accepted? The Lord was using the questions here, both the questions as well as the answer in a question. He's using the questions to stir Cain to think about right and wrong worship. Why are you angry? Why are, is your countenance fallen? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? If you do what is right? So he uses these questions as Turk came to think about the right and wrong worship, to think about the right and wrong approach to God, to think about the right and wrong offering to secure God's approval. You see, the Lord desired for Cain to repent and to bring the right sacrifice, to approach God in the right way by the sacrifice of an innocent life. For all of that, we would have to say, you know, Cain should have gone to his brother. Says, can I have one of those little sheep? I'm sure Abel would have said, yes, brother, you, I've got plenty here. There's plenty for us. There's plenty for every sin we got. Instead, he said, no. I'm going to bring my own sacrifice, my own way. God's got to accept it. Verse 7, if thou doest well, shall thou not be accepted. And if thou dost not well, look at this, sin lies at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shall rule over him. God's advice was that if Cain would please God by doing what was right, all would be well. But if not, sin would be at his door, crouching like an animal ready to overcome him, ready to attack him. There may be some commentators that say, you know, listen, sin is lying at your door. In other words, the sin offering, a little sheep would be lying at your door. That, that's not what it says. Please understand that we have to connect this to the thought of the next verse. Unto thee shalt thou be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Sin desires to have Cain, just as God described woman's desire against her husband in Genesis 3.16. Let me read that to you. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception in sorrow. Thou shalt bring forth children. And remember this. And thy desire shall be to thy husband. That was not like, ooh, she shall desire her husband. No. Your desire is against your husband. 
and he shall rule over thee. And you're not going to like it. And you're going to rebel. So what God is saying is Cain could have had mastery over sin. In effect, what the Lord said to Cain was, its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. You must rule over it. You shall rule over it. You must rule over sin. And here is the perpetual struggle between good and evil. And the Apostle Paul himself would confess his own struggles. And and I'm thankful that he does. I'm thankful for his honesty and his openness. This is not a hypothetical thing in Romans chapter 7. By the way, let's turn there. Romans chapter 7. This is not a hypothetical issue that Paul is bringing up. He mentions himself. He says, I'm a sinner too. I understand this by experience. The struggle between the flesh and the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. It's seen here in in some of the things that Paul says. It's also seen in in the book of Galatians where he talks about the wrestlings between the flesh and the spirit and the spirit and the flesh. But here in Romans 7 verse 14 he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal. In other words, I'm fleshly, sold under sin. For that which I do I allow not, which means for that which I do I, I don't understand always. For what I would, that I do that do I not. In other words, what I want to do, I don't do it. But what I hate, that I do. Anybody ever had those feelings before? Hello? Anybody here? Everybody's hands should go up. Okay, you don't have to do it because I tell you, but I'm just saying. Don't be the what you say? We all go through that. The things we want to do, we don't do. And the things we don't want to do, we do. If then I do that, if then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. And there's the key. Verse 18, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. For to will is present with me. In other words, I, I, I desire to do what's right. The will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. And I could just see Paul, you know, I I think that's us. The thing I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. It's wrestle, spirit, flesh, flesh, spirit, day by day, every day. Why is it that we need to pray every day? Lord, fill me with your spirit. Fill me with everything that is good. Fill me with what is right. Give me wisdom with your word. Let that wisdom come and sink into me so I can live for you and do what is right and keep from that which is not. He says, now if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it. But sin that dwelleth in me. And if you go back one chapter... Chapter 6 of Romans, verse 16. Know ye not, he says, that to whom you yield yourself servants to obey, his servants are you to whom you obey. Whether of sin unto death, if you obey sin, it's going to lead to death. Or of obedience unto righteousness. If you obey sin, it leads to death. If you obey the Lord, it leads to righteousness, his righteousness. So what, what, what I'm saying out of all of this is that the Lord laid choices before Cain. The Lord laid choices before Cain, just as he laid before Adam. Adam, there's all of the garden. And then there's this one tree. 
You can have anything you want from the whole garden except for this one tree. Choice is yours. But the day that you eat of this tree, you're going to die. There's a choice. Now, of course, the serpent came and deceived Eve. And Adam was there, you know, and he took of the fruit and, you know, he was more responsible. Why? Because he knew. He knew. Eve was deceived, but he knew. And Cain and Abel knew. Choose to do well, and I will accept you. If you don't do well, sin is lying at your door like a vicious animal ready to attack you. Either you will be lifted up or you will be attacked. It's your choice, Cain. Either you'll be lifted up because you've humbled yourself before me or else you're going to be attacked. It's your choice. Folks, we can either choose God's way or our own way. We can choose God's way or our own way. And let me say this. Please understand that if we choose our own way, we are also choosing, we're choosing the way of the flesh. We're also choosing the way of the world and the way of the devil. This is why 1 John chapter 2 is so important for us to understand. Because John talks about the world, the flesh, and the devil. And these are our enemies. But you see, ultimately, we're choosing. So, we either choose God's way or our own way. And we're choosing the world's way and the devil's way. I want you to turn to Isaiah 61. I'm going to fly here in the next couple of minutes, so stay with me. Isaiah 61, verse 3. Now, the first two verses are prophetic verses that Jesus fulfilled, at least partially, uh, in the Gospels when he goes into the synagogue and he states his reason for coming to this earth. Talks about coming to heal the brokenhearted and so on and so forth. But in verse 3, notice what he says, and this is the Messiah speaking, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. I want you to notice the exchange of things here. That they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Listen, we can choose the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. We can choose the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. We can choose the oil of joy over mourning. We can choose the beauty that God gives us for the ashes that our lives have been. We can choose. If you turn to 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 18, Paul says, Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Listen, we can choose to rejoice in the Lord rather than to complain. We can choose to pray without ceasing rather than to try to figure things out ourselves. We can choose to give thanks for everything rather than to murmur. Listen, Paul in Philippians 4 verse 8. I know this is fast. We've got to finish up. 
The following Philippians 4 verse 8 says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. We can choose to think on these things instead of choosing what is contrary to that which the Lord offers us. We can choose to think on the things that are true rather than the things that are false. To to choose to think on the things that are honest rather than the things that are dishonest. We can choose to think on things that are just rather than on the unjust, so on and so forth. On the pure rather than the impure. On the lovely rather than the ugliness and the wickedness of this world. Of those things that are of good report. Many today are struggling with anger issues. As well as with dejection and depressions of all kinds. Much as Cain did when he was, you know, when he felt rejected. But consider God's answer to these burdens. Consider God's answer. Psalm 42, verse 11, the psalmist says, himself, within himself, I mean, he starts talking to himself. There's a problem there already. But think of what he says. He says, why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted within me? Do those questions sound familiar? Hope thou in God. That's the answer. Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance and my God. Listen to me, the health of my countenance, the health of my countenance is not knowing the name of my pharmacist. The health of my countenance is God himself, Jesus Christ, the Lord who died and rose again for me. Jeremiah, in the midst of the destruction of Jerusalem... The weeping prophet lamenting over all that has taken place and because of what has happened to his people, he is feeling the brunt of all of this and he cries unto God of of the pains that he's feeling through all of the destruction that he sees the city of Jerusalem in. But then in Lamentations 3 verses 37 through 41 he says, Who is he that saith and he cometh to path when the Lord commandeth not? Out of the mouth of the Most High proceedeth not evil and good? Wherefore does a living man complain, a man for the punishment of his sins? Let us search and try, test our ways, and turn again to the Lord. Folks, there is the answer. Turning again to God. He says, let us lift up our heart with our hands unto God in the heavens. Let us lift up our heart with our hands unto God in the heavens. What is he saying? Let us praise God. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us acknowledge the one who created us. Let us give all praise, all glory and honor unto him. When we have our hands raised, what are we doing? We're surrendering. We're surrendering ourselves to the God who created us and knows us better than we know ourselves. So let's close with this thought. I want you to notice Cain's silence. Did Cain ever answer God? Or did he ever answer the questions that God asked him? Cain is silent. This is significant. No response is mentioned. Apparently he never responded to God. He chose to continue on in his sin of false worship, of approaching God as he wished. He he just continued to reject sacrifice as the only approach to God. We do see that he responds later on in this chapter. We'll talk about that next week. 
But he just continued to reject the sacrifices, the only approach to God. And of course, next time we will focus our attention on the results of Cain's silence before the Lord. So you need to come and be tuned in to know what goes on. I want to close with Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. I want to read this because I want it to be an encouragement to you today. I want you to listen to the heart of the Apostle Paul as a prayer to you and for you. And as something for you to stand upon this week as you consider this study on Cain. In Ephesians 3.14, Paul says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with his might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints and, uh, what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height. What is that? All the dimensions. And to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. And remember this verse, verse 20, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Shall we pray?